everyone. Welcome to the Farm Commons podcast, where we explore timely and important legal issues and questions facing the farming community today. For community-based farms with a focus on sustainability, managing legal risks is especially important, as many innovative farm enterprises, like community-supported agriculture programs, on-farm suppers, and gardening classes, and unique arrangements for land access and employment do not fit neatly into our legal system, leading to vulnerability. But through legal education, we can cultivate greater resilience for your farm business so that you can continue to grow in ways that best support you, your relationships, and your community. At Farm Commons, we'll show you why and how. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, everyone. It's Eva here. I'm the Farmer and Partner Development Manager with Farm Commons. And we're back today to discuss legal risk management for your farm during the COVID-19 crisis. Farmers, we know you all are going through daily changes on your farms as you pivot sales and production to meet shifting demand and regulations. You've had many questions for us in the process, and our team at Farm Commons is doing our best to respond through this podcast series. Today, we're back for a special episode, which is the second episode of a two-part series on starting a farm business during COVID-19. We hosted a webinar on this subject last week on May 20th, and in this episode, we'll be sharing the second half of that presentation, going over important legal considerations for managing the risk of injuries with insurance and unpacking important employment law considerations when getting your farm business started. Here we go. So on to our safety net insurance. And so every farm needs insurance, but not every farm needs the same insurance. So key point here that we're about to unpack. So as you're starting out your farm, you're likely consumed with field prep, seed ordering, marketing, and in these COVID times, also figuring out online sales and deliveries. So you likely aren't wondering, am I responsible if a worker trips and falls during delivery? Am I responsible if a customer gets sick for my produce? Or a CSA member falls through the barn floor during pickup? Um, Insert any other imaginable injury here. And so even though these may not be top of mind, these risks, they are very real risks that happen all the time. People trip and fall, people get sick from eating produce, and floors inevitably give out. And so the answer to the question, am I responsible is dot, 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 it's impossible to predict. In our society, the way we figure out who is responsible is through a lawsuit. And so we sue people, we hear their best arguments, we consider the facts, balance that against the evidence, and then there is a judgment for who is responsible and for how much. And so the action step here is to buy insurance to cover the activity, activities and operations of your farm. So consider um, farm liability coverage for infrastructure and equipment on your farm property, uh, product liability for your produce, meats, and other food products, and event endorsements for events like pizza nights on the farm and harvest festivals. Um, Looking forward to a time that these things can happen again with people um, in close proximity. Um, An incidental business endorsement for things like farm stands. and maybe a commercial line of coverage for agritours and ventures and UPICs. And as I was reading that list of different insurance policy coverage types out, you might have been thinking, 
I can't afford insurance. I'm just getting started out, so I'm just going to work with the people that I trust. And that is a very beautiful thought. However, that is not quite how it works. So our key learning point with insurance is that it provides the dual value of an expert attorney going to bat for you when an issue occurs and it pays out on resulting liability up to the coverage amount. Um, and so the answer here is it doesn't matter. Your friend, family member isn't the one who's going to sue you um, because when we sign up for our individual health insurance plans, we actually sign away the right for the health insurance company to sue in our own name. So going back to Farmer Sam, if his friend Jamie comes out for a pickling workshop and really unfortunately slices off a finger while chopping, Jamie's health insurance company will cover the costs, yes, but they'll want whoever is responsible to pay them back. And as I said before, a lawsuit is how we find out who is responsible for the incident and paying for the injury. So what will happen, fast forward, farmer Sam will receive a notice in the mail that Jamie is suing the farm when really it's the health insurance company who is suing. So farmer Sam can go to court and argue why he wasn't responsible, you know, saying, but we had a liability waiver. We told everyone to be careful. People slice off their fingers in home kitchens. Yes, all of that, sure. But the process isn't going to be fun or necessarily effective for, for Sam to DIY. Um, and so an expert attorney versed in farm events and farm injuries will be key here. And that is what insurance provides. Insurance will provide an expert attorney to go to bat for the farmer to minimize the farmer's responsibility as much as possible. Um, and then insurance will pay out on the resulting damages, just as we all know insurance is there to do. So we've got a great starting point for you all um, in a resource called Managing the Sustainable Farms Risks with Insurance and Navigating Common Options, available on our website that Sarah will be dropping a link to in the chat box. And so thanks for that, Sarah. All right, so um, to wrap up insurance, uh, you may have keyed into when I said, ooh, liability waiver. Um, so with liability waivers, please consider it ineffective for legal risk unless you paid an attorney to draft it for you. Um, however, do not throw them away. They may still be very, very helpful for communicating a culture of safety on your farm. If people have to read something and sign that they understand where the bathrooms are, that they need to wash their hands after touching the animals before eating, or that they can't go in areas marked unsafe, they are more likely to wash their hands and to not go into areas marked unsafe. So really good tool for communication. All right, y'all, speed round here. <laughs> we are going to very quickly cover um, employment law to round us out. Um, because when starting out, it may just be you working on the farm, but you may find that demand for your product is so high and I really and truly hope that for you. Um, and you want to wrap up production and so you need some extra hands on the farm in order to ramp up. So let's make, make sure that you know exactly what you're getting into regarding workers on the farm and employment law um, so you can grow forward with confidence. And our key learning point for this module, almost everyone who does work on a farm is an employee. And I'll get, I'll get to the basis for that soon. We do have some minor exceptions and one of them is independent contractors. Generally speaking, independent contractors, they bring their own tools, they set their own schedules, they control how a task is accomplished, and they earn a profit or suffer a loss based on projected revenue minus expenses. And they also provide the same service to others. 
And so um, let's say there's a farmer, Farmer August. He has a row crop operation. In the fall, he works with a neighbor farmer of his to harvest his crop. The neighbor June has a fancy combine and does custom harvest work for a few other farmers in the region. And she coordinates the harvest schedule as she's able. August gives her cash in return. And so does June meet the independent contractor criteria? Well, likely yes. She has her own combine. She sets the schedule. August doesn't tell June how to operate her equipment. She has control. And June makes money if she is efficient and her equipment doesn't break. Um, and so if you think you can meet these criteria for something other than custom farming, construction or repair services, someone fixing the fence, for example, um, I do need to urge you to still do additional research or meet with an attorney. Um, if the minimum wage division in your state says, yes, this is a solid independent contractor position, the IRS can still disagree because they have their own criteria that they use and it evolves. Um, so I strongly recommend additional research to make sure you understand how the various agencies view independent contractors um, to avoid misclassification. And so considering how limiting the independent contractor criteria really are, it's very likely that most farm businesses have employees. But why not these other options of interns, apprentices, volunteers, or work trade volunteers? Well, here we have to go back to um, the Federal Fair Labor Standards Act, um, which goes by FLSA, and it's the law in every state. State law can, you, can choose to add on more protections, but no state can go beneath the basic protections. And what the Fair Labor Standards Act defines as employment is to employ someone is to permit that person to do the work of a for-profit business. It does not say to put out a job ad, interview people, train them, and then, you know, make them fill out a bunch of paperwork. It it, to employ someone is to just permit them to do the work of a for-profit business. Um, and the reason for this is because the law is trying to prevent exploitation. And we don't have time to go into all of that. Um, but the test here um, is if, if someone is doing the work that your for-profit business does, so if you run a CSA farm and you are having volunteers help to harvest and pack CSA boxes, they are doing the work of the for-profit business and so fit the legal definition of an employee. Um, importantly, though, there is a nonprofit exemption, and I know someone on the line here is involved with a nonprofit farm. Nonprofits can have volunteers um, because that is how we understand the nature of nonprofits, working towards um, a mission to benefit society and humanitarian um, goals, um, and that's how we understand volunteerism as a nation. So nonprofits can have volunteers, for-profit businesses can't. There is also a small exception for interns. Um, so an, an intern or, or sometimes called apprentice is not also legally an employee if they are involved in a formal educational program, they receive significant broadly applicable educational benefit. Um, and so not just being trained in, in the one farm's operations but in farming generally, and they do not displace current employees. And if the intern meets this criteria, then they may not be a legal employee as well. And so to think about the third point, um, if your intern doesn't show up, um, is that okay? If they don't do the work that you, you want them to show up to do, will you do it or will you hire someone else to do it? If you end up hiring someone else, that means that the intern was displacing an employee. Um, and so all you farmers can learn more in our guide, Managing the Risks of Interns and Volunteers, which Sarah is about to drop into the chat box. Um, so thanks, Sarah.
All right, so what do we do now? If we have an employee, well, we need to understand our employment law obligations. And these include um, minimum wage, can include overtime, um, workers' compensation, and payroll taxes, and others. This is by no means the end of the line. Um, and to get a start on doing research, and for some states, we have your specifics already researched for you. You can check out our website. We have extensive resources on employment law on our worker page. So definitely check that out. Other worker considerations during COVID-19 time. Um, if you have folks already working on the farm with you, you will want to be aware of paid sick leave and paid family leave provisions through the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, um, which we've done the work for you. We've got a tutorial. It is available on our website and Sarah actually led that webinar. Um, and so Sarah will drop a link in the chat box for you to check that out. And if you are worried about COVID virus transmission, um, you should be. We should all be worried about spreading COVID and getting other people sick and doing our, our absolute best to minimize transmission. But for legal liability, there is currently no basis um, for, for, for that being established. Um, so you can't get insurance coverage for that yet. Um, that may change in the, in the future, um, but still do your best to be safe um, for public health and safety. And so follow the Center for Disease Control um, uh, federal guidelines for best sanitation practices um, and also extension farm industry specific guidelines. And so I know North, Car North Carolina State and Georgia, University of Georgia Extension have some farm specific guidelines regarding um, best practices for co minimizing COVID transmission. All right, we have reached the end of the line here. Thank you all for, for being with us. I, I just wanna review the titles here in the case that you um, are on our website right now and are looking for the resources mentioned and miss the links in the chat box. Um, we mentioned the Farmer's Guide to Business Structures, Managing the Sustainable Farms Risks with Insurance and Navigating Common Options, as well as Managing the Risks of Interns and Volunteers. Um, and also the tutorial on the Families First Act, which is the most recent link that Sarah shared in the chat box. So all of that available for free on our website. All right, so if you have found our programming helpful to you and your farming community, we do invite you to be a part of protecting the legacy of thousands of farmers across the United States with a donation to support our legal education work, if you have the means to do so. Um, if you do, your gift matters more now than ever. Um, all donations right now will be matched up to $5,000, and that will help us to meet the incredibly urgent need for quality legal information as farms navigate COVID-19. And your support will help us to continue this good work. So join us by making a donation to the link that Sarah will be sharing in the chat box. Um, all right, so whew, managed to leave four minutes here uh, for questions. Thank you all so much for joining us and for sharing some, some great questions already. And I'd love to open up now to what others have asked. That was amazing. You explained employment law in, in less time than I have ever been able to. That was incredible. Usually it's a full day workshop to explain everything. Thanks so much for the highlights. So uh, we have a question here from Kylie. Thanks so much for joining us, Kylie. Uh, Kylie says, so is it considered illegal to have a farm work party day with volunteers if you are a for-profit farm? Very good question. Oh yeah, great question, Kylie. Million dollar question. Yes, yeah, so 
the answer, as you may surmise from the presentation, is the definition. <laughs> um, to employ someone is to permit them to do the work of a for-profit business. And so if you're having a, a work party with volunteers who are doing the work of your for-profit business, they are very likely to be legal employees. And at Farm Commons, our work is not um, attorney client guidance. We are all about education and farmer empowerment. And so you know more than anyone what will work on your farm and what risk you are prepared to take and what risks you are not. Um, and so I encourage you to um, balance out what the risk of something bad is happening. You know, do you have a real um, precarious situation, lots of farm equipment laying around, lots of potholes, could someone easily trip, could the floor easily cave in, um, and if you have volunteers, um, you may consider getting them coverage for injuries through your insurance, either workers' compensation or um, other injury coverage, you could explore that option, or you could uh, minimize the extent of the work that they're doing or um, provide them compensation through a produce share or um, flowers or something else of that nature that your farm produces. And, and to um, be most resilient there, you'll want to track the value of what it is that you're compensating um, those volunteers for and um, treating them as in-kind wages that you do pay taxes on. And so we actually have a guide on that on our website. <laughs> Super. Thanks, Eva. And Kylie Abs, this is uh, when it's not quarantine time, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Any more questions? We've got about two minutes. Two minutes. <laughs> I'm seeing no more questions roll in at this time. So it looks like, Eva, you have answered everything succinctly <laughs> and clearly. So thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you all for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. For more information on what you just heard, as well as a variety of farm law guides, models, checklists, flowcharts, and more, visit our website at farmcommons.org. You can also email us at info at farmcommons.org if you have any questions or comments about this podcast or any of our online materials. Thanks everyone for listening and keep on growing.